please stand for the reading of God's word from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as a fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you. They told me to do that. Are you supposed to move it? Is that right? Which way? That way, this way? Uh, anyway. Good morning. Let's pray because we've heard God's word read and and then we'll uh, get started. Oh God, because of who you are, because of your faithfulness, may you open the eyes of our heart that we might behold you, each of us, and we might know the lover of our soul. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it's a pleasure to be back with you again. Greetings from Washington, D.C. And uh, really a joy, I, by my count, I don't think I've been in this beautiful sanctuary for 20 years. And uh, man, it really is a beautiful, beautiful place. I remember the work on it. I remember us having countless staff meetings behind uh, Jesus there, uh, the Jesus window. Uh, pretty cold in the winter. Um, and I'm, it's a thrill to be here on Pentecost Sunday. So, I was thinking about the movie Wakanda Forever, the Black Panther. Anybody seen that movie? Good. I'm glad. Uh, and I was thinking about the scene where the warrior, Namor, takes those big water bombs, and he comes to the queen's chamber, and he throws them and they crash the window and sadly the queen as she's trying to save Williams drowns 
And there she is lying, and her daughter comes in, Shuri, and she sees her mother there. And Namor looks at her and says, you are now the queen. Well, later as she's mourning and everybody's grieving the queen's death, she finds the the heart-shaped herb. And it turns out she's more than the queen, right? She's the next Black Panther. Well, Jesus' followers are sad because their king, we might say their Black Panther, has died. And uh, he gives them something far greater than the power of that herb. He gives them his very spirit that fills them with Jesus' power, Jesus' courage, Jesus' wisdom. And what happens is we end up not with just 12 Black Panthers, the 12 apostles, we end up with many, 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 many Black Panthers. Because the Spirit of Jesus is filled all and everyone that follows the King. Now, this is an extraordinary change that happens with Jesus' followers. Because when the Spirit of God finds them, they are behind a locked door, shaking, afraid, because they believe that the very people that killed Jesus are going to kill them. And so what would happen that would take a bunch of people that are afraid and sad, so scared that they wouldn't even come out their front door, to begin to be bold and courageous and talk about the praises of God? Something great would have to happen to do that, right? And that's what Pentecost Sunday is about. It's about God's great spirit that comes upon us. And so I I want to ask you as we move through this passage, what is it that you are afraid of right now? Where is it that you feel sad and kind of defeated? Like you're not sure if you're ever going to get over it. Because Pentecost Sunday reminds us that God can do the very same thing in you that he did in those disciples. And I want to focus on two of those things. The promises of God and the purpose of God. The promises of God and the purpose of God. So let's look at those things together. First of all, um, the promises of God. Now, earlier this year, my wife and I, Meg, watched another movie. And it's about a small king, the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. And in that movie, and in the story, Elvis, Elvis's mother is worried that the riches and the popularity and all the other stuff is going to be too much for him. And he promises his mother, that's not going to happen. I'm always going to stay your boy. I'm always going to be there. Those things aren't going to overtake me. But of course, you know the true story is they did. He died at 40 years old. As much as he wanted to keep the promise, he couldn't keep the promise. And the same is true for you and I. As much as we hope to keep the promises to ourselves, 
to one another, to God, we break the promises, right? Maybe it's um, the promise that I'm going to stop complaining so much about the city. Or maybe I promise to stop telling secrets, stop gossiping. Maybe it's the promise that I'm going to be more patient or the promise I'm going to give myself to God more. I'm going to begin to pray more. And as much as we make those promises, we have such trouble keeping them, don't we? So God is not like that. In the book of Joshua, when um, Joshua was speaking to Israel, this is one of the things he says to them. Not one of God's good promises have failed you. Not one of them. And God made lots and lots of promises. In fact, God is known as a promiser. That word covenant in the Bible, that basically means super promise. God makes this great super promise. As soon as sin shows up in the world, as soon as sin appears, God rushes in and makes a promise that he will send someone who will conquer sin for us. A super warrior. And the New Testament identifies that person as Jesus Christ. The great one that God had promised to come. The promise of God. And what good news, what good news this is for us because while we have broken, broken so many promises, Jesus kept all the promises. While we should be punished for breaking promises, he gets punished for our broken promises. God treats you as if you kept all the promises of God. He sees you in Christ as a promise keeper. Someone that's always kept those promises. But there's even more. After Jesus from the dead, he sends the Holy Spirit, and one of his nicknames is the Spirit of Promise. That's because way back at the time of Israel, the time of the prophets, God said that he would send the Spirit. Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts and wrote a gospel, says, says this of Jesus, records Jesus saying this, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. The spirit of promise. That is who we celebrate today. That is who has been given to all those that believe Jesus. But this is the difference. In the Old Testament in Israel, the spirit would be sent to fill people to do things or say things. But it would be on occasion. But what happens when Jesus rises and he sends his spirit, the spirit not only fills, but he stays. He not only fills God's people, but he stays. It reminds me of a song lyric that a friend of mine wrote, where he says, you, dwell on, uh, you live on the highest mountain, you swim in the deepest sea, you dwell in the grandest canyon, but you make your home inside of me. You make your home inside of me. And here's the thing. When the Spirit of God is at home in you, 
Because the Father and Son and the Spirit are always together. They're one God. You get a three for one. You get the Father, Son, and the Spirit dwelling with you and staying with you. Always. And that means two things. First, the promise of presence. Pastor Travis mentioned that at the beginning of the service. Pentecost and the idea of presence. And in its most basic sense, this means that you and I never have to feel alone. I mean really alone. The top doctor in our nation just proclaimed that um, there's a new devastating public health crisis, right? I think many of you know what it is. It's loneliness, right? It's now been named a health crisis because of the level of loneliness that our society is dealing with, right? We are people that are alone in our earbuds. We're alone on our screens. We're alone now more with our work. But you know something? You can be around people and still be alone, right? You can be, feel alone in a family. You can feel alone in a marriage. You can feel alone in a church. There's a deeper loneliness, a deeper loneliness that only the one who made our souls can come and dwell in, right? The Father, Son, and the Spirit. There's an inside loneliness that only God can occupy to come near with you and I and to feel like there is someone that understands me like no other. Jesus was leaving his disciples and he knew they would feel alone and he said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. But what am I going to do? I'm going to send my spirit and you won't feel alone. This is one of the things the giving of the spirit is to do for you and me. That we understand that though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will never forsake me. As the Lord says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so you have the strongest, most wise, most compassionate, most faithful, most empathetic, most loving companion in the deepest part of your being. Sometimes... Uh, we can forget the most basic and personal reasons God does such great theological works. That they wouldn't, we wouldn't feel alone. The promise of presence. But also the promise of power. What's the most powerful thing you have beheld? Maybe it's a mighty storm on the ocean you've seen. Or maybe it's a rocket taking off. I've always wondered what that is like. To actually, you know, see a rocket ascending into the sky. Well, Paul describes Jesus's resurrection sort of like that. Death couldn't hold back Jesus because he was innocent, and he burst forth through the grave. And listen to how this is described. With great might, God worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead. And I want, you, I want you to listen especially how high the power takes him. Raised him from the dead. 
and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. And you know the reason why Paul tells us? Because he wants us to know that power dwells in us. That's the point he says in Ephesians. That you might have the eyes of your heart enlightened. That you might know the immeasurable greatness of the working of his power that he worked when he, the passage I just read. And Paul knows, uh, you know, his prayer isn't even, I pray you would know it and it would change your life. He's just praying we could see it. If we could just see it. Right? The greatness of this power toward us who believe, and that means power to face whatever fear you're facing this week, whether it's in your career or some conversation you have to have with someone, or just facing another week alone, as you face sickness and a scary diagnosis, as you face danger, but especially as you face your own guilt and temptation to sin. This power. And this is where the promise God made way back to the prophets reminds us that all along he intended this power to help us in this way. He said through Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you. That's power to feel forgiven. You know, you and I, can, we can get into this thing where I'm just always going to feel guilty. I'm always going to feel like I'm never mad. This is just what my life's going to be. And that is a Christless thought. Because the gospel would say, the Spirit has been given, so you will see that you have been sprinkled with clean water, forgiven because of Jesus. I will give you a new heart. Oh, my heart's always going to be the same. I'm always going to be envious. I'm always going to be cynical. I'm always going to be angry. No, you've been given the Spirit, new heart. And the new Spirit I will put within you, I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. This is a tricky thing, right? We honor the agency and the responsibility that God has given human beings, but he says as well, I will begin a good work and you will bring it to completion. There are good works in advance that I've caused and you will walk in them. If God is for you, who can be against you? The Spirit of God. And this is why in the book of Romans, Paul says, I want you to put to death sin. You can't put something to death unless you're more powerful than it. Right? The logic wouldn't make sense. He says that because the Spirit has enabled you and I to do that. To put these things to death. Many times, I feel like my sin is stronger than God's grace. I feel like my sin is stronger than the Spirit of God. And that's a lie. God's gracious Spirit is stronger. But how does this happen? Do we just like go bring it on God? Well, maybe we can use this analogy. Uh, I don't own an electric car, but I've seen them. Maybe somebody in here owns an electric car. And uh, 
You know, if that electric car is running low, if some good meaning person came up to you and said, listen, I've got some double A batteries. You know, I hope that would help. Or listen, I've got this extension cord that goes into my, you know, that's not going to work, right? You need something with more power, but what's sort of funny, I love seeing this, you see all these things, these cars sort of hubbed up just recharging, right? Just recharging. Worship is a recharging station. How does the power come to us? If you're just walking around and you're expecting to run but never going to the right station to recharge, well, you're not going to have the power you need. God has told us where the power is. As we worship together, we feel power through the prayers, through the praise, through the words spoken, through the table that we'll take. The Spirit gives His power through these things. They're power stations. But let's briefly go to the purpose. We talked about the Spirit, the promise, but what about the purpose? When the Holy Spirit comes, we're told tongues of fire was the appearance. For two reasons. Tongues of fire. The first one is, fire is a symbol of God's holiness. You might remember when Moses comes upon a burning bush, the bush is burning, but it's not burning up, and God says, remove your shoes, you're in holy presence. Fire in the Bible means God's holiness. My daughter is an artist, and uh, she makes pottery from time to time. And, uh, you know, after the pottery is made, she then has to put it in an oven, right, called a kiln. And the way the pottery looks before goes in, and the way it looks when it comes out is very different. The fire makes it shine. The holiness of God upon his people makes it shine. She showed me a piece she did, and I said, Isabel, you're killing it. Sorry, I just, she liked that pun, but it didn't translate. I took a risk there. But the tongues also represent something else, right? You know this. Speaking. Now, at that time in Jerusalem, there were Jewish pilgrims, people from Israel that were scattered all over the nations, but they happened to be in town for the great festival. A great festival. And as they're walking by, in this house, the Spirit of God falls, And these disciples begin to speak God's praises, speak about Jesus' death and resurrection in languages that they don't know. And they begin to spill out of the house. And they begin to praise. And people are walking by and they're like, wait a second. I'm hearing these things about the Messiah in a language, in my own language. Why? What do we learn from that? Three things. First of all, that God's desire from the very beginning is to tell the whole world about Jesus. God's desire from the beginning was that the whole world would know about the Messiah. Jesus is not the mascot of Israel. He's not the mascot of American Christianity. 
Jesus is the global savior. There's a reason why Christianity has spread through every culture and every world all over history. Because God has always wanted a pan-ethnic bride. He's always wanted a bride that would represent the nations. The second thing having to do with that is God wanted his people to know from the very beginning that his spirit would move in such a way that um, his house, his people, would be made up of this ethnic, beautiful tribe, nation of all people. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I may, you know, I, I, I can't remember if I shared this when I was on the retreat, but it's a thought that we've had uh, in our church network. Um, so imagine uh, you need a roommate or you apply uh, for a place that needs a roommate. And there's a couple other people living there and you uh, become, uh, you know, they accept your application and uh, you bring your stuff, you know, your food that you like and your artwork that you like and your music that you like. And some of you show up and they go, oh, you're not going to need that stuff. You know, we, we, we have, you know, the food, you know, we, we, the place is already decorated. This, you know, we already have a playlist that everybody sort of like. What are, what, are you, what are they telling you? You're welcome to be a roommate here, but not to live here. You're not really welcome here. But as God pursues these people into their, it's not just language. Language represents lots of things. Culture, values, belief. God is entering deep into those things, saying, you're going to be part of my house. And that's why as God's people, we labor to be thoughtful about, is our house welcoming, right? We're trying to do this in D.C. We've got a city made up of lots of folks. How do we learn to do this? How do we learn to do it thoughtfully? But the last thing is this. He plans to use you and I as witnesses to this multinational people that he's reaching. You and I. Now, this is the really ingenious thing God does. Well, he does lots of really ingenious things, but this is one. The timing was so perfect. When the Spirit of God falls upon the disciples and they begin to speak the gospel, and later if you go to the book of Acts, you see that they actually come to believe in Jesus. Thousands of them. What happens? Well, some of them stayed there, but what do those people do? They go back to their nations. They go back to the places they lived, but now they're equipped with the gospel. But this is like the really ingenious thing. They don't have to go back and learn a new language. They don't have to go back and learn a new culture. God is sending people to the places they already know where they can speak the heart language where they understand what people care about, and that's where he's going to bring the Messiah into. So consider this. There is no better people equipped to reach Cambridge than you. You know the language. You know the culture. You're in the schools. 
you're in the offices, you're on the playgrounds. What has he done? He's declared the gospel to people and he has planted them so that they then would be the witnesses. And this is how the church has grown all over the world. And so the purpose of God that he's going to tell the whole world about Jesus, this is going to, and that whole world's going to be welcoming of every tribe, tongue, and nation, and people group, and he's going to use his people planted in that place to do it. The Lord has given us such a gift in the Holy Spirit, and we praise him on this day of Pentecost for that gift. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father and Son, thank you for your foresight. Thank you for your prophecies. Thank you that we are not living with less than the early church. We're living with more. And that helps us because many times, Lord, we look at our world, our culture, our own hearts, and we feel overwhelmed. But we thank you that the gift of the Spirit is greater than anything we could face. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray the promise of the Spirit and the purpose of the Spirit would delight their hearts. In Christ's name, amen.